watching online. I am not lead Pastor Greg Dumas. Really, I do not look like that picture. But I am so glad to be with you. Pastor Greg is going to be back next weekend giving an awesome Father's Day message. My name is Pastor Stephen Robles, and I promise that, uh, thank you. I promise that Pastor Jeremy Rosado and I, who is just leading worship, we did not coordinate outfits. I promise. I promise you, although I think we're wearing the exact same thing. Well, we're so glad that you joined us here at the Crossing Church Online, wherever you are watching. I believe that God has a word for all of us today. And I do want to thank our lead pastor, Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara. You know, this is a challenging time for everyone, and this is a challenging time to lead, but they are doing it with incredible grace. They are listening to the word of God, and they are obeying the word of God. And I just want to thank you both, and thank you for this opportunity to speak during this time. Would you show them your appreciation, whether you're at home or here in the room? Thank you. And so before I get into the subject matter for today, I want to read some verses out of Isaiah chapter 1. You know, my wife was actually reading in her Bible, and she mentioned this chapter in Isaiah. And I believe as it was timely for the nation of Israel and the prophet Isaiah speaking to them, I believe it's timely for us today. And so I want to read it, and then I want to pray. I want to pray for our nation. I want to pray over current events, and then we'll jump in. So if you would join me in Isaiah chapter 1, starting with verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt, and the whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head, no spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, and festering sores, not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. I'm going to jump to verse 16 and says this. Wash yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what is good. Seek justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come, let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient. I want you to catch that phrase. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, during this time, we need your spirit. We need your Holy Spirit guiding our actions, guiding our words, guiding government, guiding policy. We need the peace that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ today. Father, we pray for our nation, we pray for our leaders, and we pray for every individual. We pray that encounters with your spirit become commonplace in our nation even those who may not be actively seeking you, that they encounter your spirit on the streets, in their home. Father, I pray that your presence is felt tangibly now more than ever before. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I have to be honest, when I, when I prepare for a message, most of the time it comes pretty seamlessly. I'll have a story from the Bible or I have a topic 
and I ask the Lord to give me words, and it just kind of comes out. I can type 10, maybe even 20 pages in an hour time, and I know exactly what I need to say. So this week was different. Preparing for the message today was very different. You know, we prepared this series called Identity Theft a while ago, before many of the current events, and I struggled to know what applies now. What do we talk about now? Knowing everything that's going on, knowing how important identity is today. And so my topic for today, my title, if you would, is what makes us human? What makes us human? And this is not an anthropology lesson. This is not a sociology lesson. This is a theological lesson. If we continue to try to understand current events from anthropology and sociology, it will fall short. We must lean on Jesus Christ. And so in what makes us human, the Lord gave me two phrases. And as we discuss these two phrases, I don't want you, your mind to immediately jump to other people, to jump to things going on in today's culture. I want you to think about your own life, reflect on your own heart, and have what we need to do differently. These are the two phrases. These two phrases are in constant tension with each other, within ourselves and with us as humanity. They're this, the human heart is evil. The human life is sacred. The human heart is evil. The human life is sacred. Both things are true and they are in constant tension with one another. And we need to learn how we reconcile this tension between the two especially during this time. Number one, the human heart is evil. From the moment we're born, we're born into a broken world. We ourselves are born broken. We are born with sin in our hearts. Let's not take my word for it. Let's look at the scriptures first and then some illustrations. The first one in Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, he says this in Matthew chapter 15, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and that defiles a man. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. Jeremiah chapter 17, it says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Incurable, who can understand it? But I, Yahweh, God, examine the mind. I test the heart and give to each according to his way. In Romans 3.23, many of you may be familiar with this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The human heart is evil. Typically when I prepare for a message, I always go to one of my favorite apologists and evangelists, Ravi Zacharias. That's a little more of an emotionally charged task, especially now as he recently passed away. But I wanted to show a clip. I was gonna explain the story and recount it for you, but I wanted to show you the clip of him speaking. In this clip, is Ravi Zacharias, and he's taking a question from the audience. This is from a student, most likely an atheist, I believe. And the atheist is asking, why are you so afraid of subjective moral reasoning? In other words, why are you afraid that without God, we won't know what to do? Why can't we trust human ingenuity and the human heart to know right from wrong? Why do we need a book, the Bible, to tell us what's right from wrong? And so listen carefully and listen to Robert's response. Here he is. Can you hear me? Let's leave aside Christianity and historical examples for a second. All night you guys have been grappling with issues like morality and you know, what is right, what is wrong, and meaning. 
But my question is simply, why are you so afraid of subjective moral reasoning? I mean, do you think that we're all just going to start raping and pillaging just because we don't have a book to tell us what to do? I mean, are you afraid of that? Like, I'm not, because that's not going to happen. Do you lock your door at night? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> sure. <laughs> you know, I hear what you're saying. Sounds very cavalier, though. My goodness, if we weren't afraid of all of this, we would not be in a national debt. The Ch billions, China is secular. Uh, uh, sorry? China is secular. Sorry? China is secular. That's right. What about, what does that I mean? I mean, they're not raping and pillaging, and neither are we. Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Have you read what happened during the Red Guards Rebellion? Have you read what happened during the Boxer Rebellion? Do you know who has killed more people in the 20th century than China and Russia? 60 million apiece? Wow. It makes the Holocaust seem tame. I don't think the question is fairly stated as what of you are, are you afraid of? I'm just saying it is basically unlivable. That's, I didn't conclude that. An atheist like Jean-Paul Sartre concluded it. We killed more people in the 20th century than the previous 19 put together. You know, how do you, how do you stop that? Obviously, you don't believe that's the way it should be. Not, neither do I. So it's not a case of what am I afraid of. It's a case of the fact that if you're willing to say to me that uh, moral reasoning can be purely subjective, I just say to you, look out. You ain't seen nothing yet if everybody believed what you did. It seems so timely, even though that was many years ago. You see this struggle where the student is saying, aren't human beings good enough? Can't we figure out between what's right and wrong? And yet even that student admits he locks his door at night. The fact is this, if humanity was left to its own devices and desires, if human beings were left without an absolute moral law given by God, the world would plunge into chaos. No matter that all that science has given to us and all that astronomy and physics has discovered, for all that has been accomplished by human hands, science itself gives us no insight into the human heart. Science cannot prescribe morality. These studies cannot tell us what's right and what's wrong. The human heart is capable of extraordinary evil. This is why there's one of the dangers of this new spirituality movement and this new age movement. The kind of spirituality espoused by celebrities like Oprah and many other Hollywood actors and actresses. It's the spirituality devoid of God. It's this, you can be spiritual and all you have to do is look inward. Look inward and you'll find peace and fulfillment and joy. And that leaves, that leaves everyone empty who tries it. Because if you look inward, all that is there is hate and evil. We must look to Christ. We cannot look to ourselves. Amen. If you need another example of the evilness of the human heart, just hop on Twitter or Facebook at the moment. And you know, and I was thinking about that, the kind of hateful comments, you see even family members leaving for each other, friends leaving for other friends. I was reminded of this verse in Matthew chapter five, verse 21. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. 
But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, that's the HCSB translation, will be subject to hellfire. How much is that happening right now on social media? At home, you know, we have three kids at home. And if you have kids, it's no doubt you've probably seen the many aspects of the human heart on display in all its joy and evil. And so my wife developed this uh, system. I have a picture of it here. And this is in our dining room. And on it, we have a makeshift tree out of cardboard or uh, construction paper. And on it, when our kids exemplify a fruit of the spirit, they put it on the tree. And when they are behaving in a way that we know is not of the spirit, but of the flesh, we refer them to the list. And I just want to leave that picture up for a moment, and I'm going to read for you from Galatians chapter 5. One of our executive pastors, Pastor Jonas, preached on this verse on a first Wednesday some months ago. But listen to this, Galatians 5 and verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. The flesh, the heart. You can interchange that. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Those are the works of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. I want to leave this point on an encouraging word. While the human heart is evil, when we submit ourselves to God and to Jesus Christ, we can operate in the Spirit, and we can operate with the fruits of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Number one, the human heart is evil. Number two, human life is sacred. Human life is sacred. Apart from all the scriptures and philosophy and studies, something deep down within us, every human being has a feeling that human life is sacred. There is some intrinsic value to human life. No matter the condition of that human life, no matter how young that human life may be, no matter how old that human life may be, there is intrinsic value. What does that mean? There is essential worth to every human being, regardless of your education, of your ability, of your income, of your status, of what you've accomplished. None of it matters. You still have intrinsic value because you are created in the image of God. That is where our value comes from, not what we do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. I want to show you a thought experiment. This is called the trolley problem. This was developed by a philosopher named Philip Afoot in 1967. I want you to imagine that there's a trolley running along a track, and it's about to come to a fork. It can go one way or the other. On one track is a single person. They can't move. You can't warn them. If the trolley goes that direction, they'll lose their life. 
On the other track, you have five people also unable to move and you're unable to warn them. And this is you, your hand on the lever. Which do you choose? Which do you choose? Which direction? Now, for the moral philosopher, you would say five lives is more than one. So you should choose to go that way. What if that one person is your mother or your father, your daughter or your son? Which do you choose then? What if you are one of the five and someone else is pulling the lever? How does that make you feel? This is a world devoid of God trying to figure out what's right and wrong. And I'm here to tell you today that morality is not a math problem. Human life is not a math problem. Human life is sacred, whether it is one, whether it is five. Until we submit to Jesus Christ, you can do all kinds of mental gymnastics and philosophical ponderings and mathematical equations. Still, human life is sacred. That only comes from God. What do the other worldviews say? Is the Judeo-Christian value unique in this way? I would challenge you to examine Buddhism. For a Buddhist, life is like a wave in the ocean, present for a moment, and you can measure its height and width and strength, but then it crashes on the beach and it just returns to the ocean. The individual human life is not sacred. It is just part of the grand ocean. For the Muslim, we are not created in the image of Allah. Rather, it is whatever God wills. There is not the same intrinsic worth. For the Hindu, it is a cycle of reincarnation. Every life is just an end to another life and a means to an end. There is no sacredness to an individual human. And worst of all, for the atheist, human beings are just time plus matter plus chance. We are no different than a gorilla, a tiger, or a housefly. If you don't believe me, then believe atheist Richard Dawkins, who wrote in his book, The God Delusion. This is an atheist talking. Richard Dawkins says, the universe we observe has the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's the atheist talking. There is not intrinsic value to human life. If you were to watch the video of the murder of George Floyd, it is tragic and it is disturbing. And in it, you see both things, the evil capable within the human heart, and you feel the tragedy because life is sacred. And to watch life slowly ebb out of a person wrenches the inside because that man was made in the image of God. In one picture, the evilness of the human heart and the sanctity of life is on display. And something within us says it shouldn't be this way. It should not be this way. Every time we encounter death, something within us rails against it. We fight death. We fear death because death was not part of the original design. We know it shouldn't be that way because life is sacred. I challenge that only in the Judeo-Christian worldview do we come to understand the priceless and inherent value to a human life. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, you formed God my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. And this verse, I believe above all others, Genesis 127, 
God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. The only way we can reconcile the fact that the human heart is evil, yet human life is sacred, the only way to reconcile is to understand our identity as the image of God, our identity in Christ. This is why it is so important to understand that identity. And this is why it is culture and society, celebrity culture is trying so hard to twist the identity of the next generation. I'm gonna give you three things that could happen to your identity, three things you need to watch out for. And again, the reason why it's so important is we have to wrestle, human life is sacred, human heart is evil, what does it mean? Identity in Christ. Number one, culture will try to steal your identity. Culture will try to steal your identity. I will mention it here briefly. I encourage you to go to the message notes. There's a link there, more about it. If you've not heard of critical theory, I encourage you to look it up. Check out that link in the message notes. Critical theory has come into our universities and into our education, and more and more people are thinking using this framework. And the bottom line is critical theory looks to separate everyone into groups of oppressors and oppressed, putting everyone in these two boxes. Culture is trying to make everyone snap to grid. If you don't know what that means is if you're in graphical design and you're designing something and you want to put it right in the middle, you can tell it, if I move it close, just snap it to the grid. If I want it on the right, slide it over and snap it to the grid. Culture is trying to get everyone to snap to grid. And they will create as many boxes and as many titles and names as you need to find your place in culture. If you go on Facebook and want to choose your gender, here's a few of the options. Culture will do everything it can to offer a box you can fit in because it does not want you to find your identity in Christ. Culture wants you to find your identity in anything but. Anything but. This is why it is so important that we are trained and confident in our faith. We must stand for truth. The world is trying to tell you that if you find the right group, the closest box, then you can fit in that, that you will be free and fulfilled. That's what the world is telling you. But what does God say in John 8, 32? You have to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Culture will try to steal your identity, and number two, the enemy can confuse your identity. The enemy can confuse your identity. The Bible says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The enemy will get you to hold grudges, believe lies about yourself, lies about who you are. He will get you to act out of fear and anxiousness rather than peace and joy. As I was sharing the message with Pastor Greg and Tamara, Pastor Tamara said even when in, regarding Zeke, their son, who is struggling with diabetes right now. They are careful not to label him saying you are a diabetic. They say you are overcoming diabetes. Now to some of you, that may sound like just a silly distinction, but if the enemy can get you to start identifying with what you struggle with, identify with your weakness, identify with the things of this world that you desire, you can he can slowly steer you away from Jesus Christ. 
The enemy can confuse your identity. So I would encourage you, do not identify as what you are struggling with. If you hear yourself saying something like this, catch yourself. Do not say, I'm an anxious person. I wouldn't even say, I'm a depressed person. Say, I struggle with anxiety. I'm dealing with depression. With God's help, I can overcome this thing. Do not give in to the lies of the enemy that will try to put you in a box. Confuse your identity. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. And so if you are confused about your identity, that's not coming from God. James 4, 7, it says this, Therefore submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have to resist the lies of the enemy. Culture will try to steal your identity. The enemy can confuse your identity. And finally, you can forfeit your identity. You can choose to forfeit your identity. You need to guard yourself against apathy and the seeking of pleasure above all else, which is called hedonism. When fear, anxiety, depression, and the lies of the enemy won't work on you, the enemy will turn to giving you everything you desire. He will give you all the things that you want out of this world. He will get you to chase the pleasures and the riches here in the natural so you miss the eternal. In the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, the book is this allegorical account of two demons plotting against a Christian. And the apprentice is listening to the teacher and they're trying to figure out how they can get this Christian to slip up. And listen to this. This is what the teacher is telling the apprentice. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The more often he, the Christian, feels without acting, watch this, the more often you feel without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. It is not to say that having things and having income is evil. You need to make sure those things do not have your heart. Because once they have the hooks in your heart, it will begin leading you astray. So what is the answer then? We have this tension. The human heart is evil. Human life is sacred. The only way we understand it is by seeing our identity in Christ. So what do we do? What is the answer? I give you this verse from Ezekiel, chapter 36, starting with verse 25. It says, God will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities, all your idols. Watch this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. You see, while the human heart is evil, if we submit to God, he will give us a different heart, a heart of flesh and not of stone a heart after him and not after the things of this world. Only in Jesus Christ will you find your true identity. And it is only when you submit to his lordship 
over your life, that you will see every human life with intrinsic value at the same time while seeing the brokenness inside yourself and realize what needs to change. Even David, the writer of the Psalms and the King of Israel, asked God to fix his heart. He says in Psalms 51, God create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's the answer for us individually, asking God to create a clean heart in us. And so what is the answer for culture? It's the same, Jesus Christ. That's the answer. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verses 13 and 14 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace who made both groups, the Jew and the Gentile, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, the cornerstone. For some of you, you might have been a Christian your entire life, years. But maybe you have fallen into apathy. Maybe you have forgotten your identity. I want to challenge you that the world needs you now. The culture needs you now. The next generation needs the mothers and fathers of the latter generation to heal the land, to speak truth. And then for those of you who have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you one more illustration to help understand your identity, the Imago Dei, God's image on you. In Mark chapter 12, the Jewish leaders are questioning Jesus. And they talk to him about taxes. We're not getting into that today, amen. But the Jewish leaders ask him this question. Mark 12, verse 14, it says this. When they came, they said to Jesus, Teacher, we know you are truthful and defer to no one. For you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. A denarius was a coin, like a quarter. So they brought one. And watch this. What does Jesus ask? Whose image and inscription is this? Whose image, whose face is on this coin? Caesar's, they said. And watch Jesus' response. Jesus told them, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. What is Jesus saying? We knew the inscription of Caesar was on the coin, so that belonged to Caesar. What then belongs to God? What is it that we are to give back to him? It's our life. Genesis 1:27. we are created in his image, in the image of God. As the coin belongs to Caesar, you belong to God. And so if you would bow your heads with me, whether you're at home, wherever you're watching online, I wanna pray for two groups. The first group that I spoke about, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you're a new Christian, where you're saying, I need to do something. I need to do something during this time. 
I wanna pray for wisdom and discernment so that you would know what to do. Father, we pray over everyone out there who serves you, but maybe not sure what to do right now. God, we pray for supernatural wisdom and discernment. Father, you know the times. You're not taken by surprise. And God, you have appointed people to do incredible things during this season. Father, I pray that you speak to those people. I pray that they hear your voice, that they get in the word every day, that they understand that you have instructions for them. They just need to seek your face and you will tell them what to do. Father, speak to us. Speak to us in the mornings and in the evenings with your still small voice and speak to us loudly so we know what to do. We know the direction to go. Let us not let the next generation fall by the wayside because we were too afraid to say the hard thing because we thought the truth would be too offensive. Give us boldness during this time. And now for the second group. There are those of you who have never trusted Christ with your life. We are saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is true, that he died for my sins. You know, the trolley problem really did happen, but it was all of humanity on one track and Jesus Christ on the other. And God said, you don't have to pay the price. Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that is why Christ Jesus bore your sins so that you could receive him, give your life to him, and be with him forever. If that's you today, and you're saying, I wanna give my life to Christ, we're gonna pray a simple prayer all together. You're gonna repeat the words I say, but it's not the words that are special, it's the posture of your heart, understanding that you're giving it to Christ. So repeat after me, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I receive forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins. Teach me to follow you. Teach me to find my identity in you. And I will praise you the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Now this next part is very important. Many of you are at home watching this online somewhere around the world. When you give your life to Christ, the enemy is going to come after you. He's gonna try and confuse your identity. The sways of culture, culture is gonna try and steal your identity. We wanna help you. We wanna help build your faith and point you towards Christ. And so I want you to text the word Jesus to the number on your screen. And when you do that, then we'll know that you gave your life to Christ today so we can help you, so we can support you, and we can get you on this journey to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, if you would stand in the room with me and if you're at home, we're gonna worship for just another moment. This is gonna give you time to text, to also worship a little bit, and then Pastor Michael is gonna come out to close the service. Thanks for joining us this weekend.